All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Colossians. In this session, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 8, which is the introduction and greeting portion of the letter, as well as Paul's opening thanksgiving and prayer report to the Christians there in Colossae. And in the introduction and greeting, Paul follows the conventional standards of the day. And in in a Greco-Roman letter, the time period in which Paul is writing, the, the way a letter began was different than, say, the way it begins, at least in my cultural context here in the United States. We typically write letters with, you know, dear so-and-so or, hey, John, my name, hey, John, comma, and then we jump into the letter and then we sign off with, you know, some sort of farewell and then we sign our name, All right, That's sort of the way it works is we have the introduction at the beginning and then the wrap-up at the end. And they had their own convention as well. And traditionally, the conventional opening of a first century letter had three parts. It had the sender, it had the recipients, and then it had some sort of expression of greeting. It would be something like, John, to the Christians in Boise, greetings, right? Something like that was very conventional in standard letter writing in the first century. And Paul follows the conventions of the day. And so he mentions the senders, then the recipients, and then he has his greetings. Let me read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul's greeting as he opens this letter. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so Paul has the sender. He mentions himself and Timothy. He has the recipients. He mentions the saints and faithful brethren who are in Christ at Colossae. And then he has his greetings. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he follows the conventions of the day, but he adds some details and modifies it according to his purpose and according to his audience. And so let's start with the senders. It's Paul and Timothy. Paul describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And an apostle simply means like an ambassador, an official representative. It's one sent on behalf of another. So it's an official representative of another person who represents that person's presence, that person's authority, and that person's will. And so Paul is an apostle of Jesus. He is Jesus' ambassador. He is Jesus' representative because Jesus is king, and he has representatives, ambassadors in the world, Paul being one of them. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and notice he says, by the will of God. He is Jesus' apostle because of God's will, by God's will. It's what God wanted. It's what God planned. God's the one who brought that about. All of this is just a way of Paul kind of giving his credentials to Um, the church as he writes this letter. And that's particularly important here in this letter to the Colossians because, as we noted in the backstory, Paul didn't start this church, and Paul has never met these people. And so he wants to make sure he he lets them know who he is right from the get-go. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And so Timothy is Paul's co-worker in ministry. Paul picked him up on his second missionary journey. You can read about it at the end of Acts 15, beginning of Acts 16. Paul picked up Timothy. He picked him up in a town that's uh, several hundred miles to the east of Colossae. And Timothy has been working with Paul, depending on when this letter was written. Timothy has been working with Paul for 
six, eight, ten years perhaps, right? He's been working with Paul for almost a decade at this point in ministry, and so they are co-workers in ministry, and perhaps the Christians in Colossae have heard about Timothy. We wouldn't presume that they knew Timothy, because Paul hadn't been there, so it would be surprising if Timothy had been there as well. So, But somehow, Paul wants to include Timothy in the, the uh, authorship and the sending of this letter. So Paul and Timothy, they are the senders. Who are the recipients? Verse 2 tells us the recipients are the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Again, we talked about Colossae in the backstory, so you might check that out if you want to know more about the city and where it's located. But these are the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, in the city or the town of Colossae. And Paul describes them as the saints and faithful brethren. Just to clarify... Sometimes in our modern Christian context, with all the church history under you know church history that has gone before us, we hear the word saint, and we think of somebody who's super holy, right? Like super spiritual, somebody who is so spiritual, maybe they had a statue made out of them, a saint, right? That's not what the word saint actually means. In fact, in the New Testament, the word saints is always in the plural, because it always refers to God's people in total, the saints. And it's actually derived from the word for holy. It means the holy ones. And it means that in the sense of those set apart as belonging to God. It's a belonging term. It means God's holy people set apart for him, set apart for his honor, set apart for his purposes. So when you go to church on Sunday and you look around the room and you see all of the Christians gathered together, you're looking at the saints, okay? You're one of the saints. You're part of that people of God, God's holy people set apart for him. So that's who he's writing to, to the saints, the, the Christians, God's holy people uh, there in Colossae. And they're also described as the faithful brethren. Um, again, they are God's faithful people, those who are part of the people of God, faithful in Christ, who are at the city of Colossae. So that's the recipients, Paul and Timothy, to the Christians, i.e. the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, and that specifies exactly which ones we're talking about, in Christ, who are at Colossae, and then his greetings. And his greeting, instead of just saying greetings, which was standard in Paul's day to say greetings, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and he really takes the standard greeting and sort of baptizes it into Christ, if you will, theologizes it to fit really the heart and soul of his ministry. So the standard Greek greeting in a letter or somewhere else was greetings. And the Greek word for that was kairine, kairine. Guess what? The word grace, when he says grace to you there in verse 2, is charis. Do you hear the similarity? Kairine, greetings, charis, grace. How convenient is that? Paul can just take the standard greeting and modify it. And instead of saying Chirine, he says Charis, and it captures the heart, really, of his ministry, the heart of what God did for us in Jesus. He gave grace to us. And so his greetings almost becomes another well wish of grace. May God's grace be multiplied to you. So grace to you. And then the standard um, Jewish greeting of Paul's day was Shalom. And the word Shalom means Peace, peace. And so he takes that and he puts that in here as well. So grace to you modifies the standard Greek greeting. Peace to you from God our Father. And so Greek and Jews together in Christ now being greeted by Paul and almost 
um, prayerfully wished God's grace and God's peace upon you. And that's the introduction and greetings here in the letter to Colossians. Now, from there, what Paul does is he, he begins to report out how he's been thanking God for them, and then that leads to how he's been praying for them. And so we're going to get to thanksgiving at this point. We'll save the prayer for our next session. But in verses 3 through 8, Paul is going to describe his thanksgiving that he's been praying for the Colossians there uh, as they have come to faith in Jesus. But before we look at the details of that, um, what I want to make sure you hear is the the, the broader context that that sets kind of the big the big context of three through eight into really a bigger chunk of the letter because from Colossians chapter one verse three all the way to chapter two verse five is in a lot of ways an introduction of Paul himself and an introduction of the heart of his ministry and his message to the Colossians and again remember he hasn't been there they don't know him. We talked about that in our backstory. So again, if you haven't listened to that, you might check that out. But he hasn't been there. He doesn't know them. They don't know him. They have some connection to his ministry because one of his co-workers started the church. Uh, and so in a very real sense, he uses his prayer report, his Thanksgiving report, and some other things he does to really introduce himself and the heart of his ministry and message to them. And so what, what they knew from the start and we don't find out until chapter 2, is, as I mentioned, Paul had never been there. He didn't plant a church there. And so this section, chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 2, verse 5, is really a way of building a connection, building some rapport, and helping them to see that his writing to them is really a natural expression and outgrowth of his whole ministry. Um, N.T. Wright summarizes this bigger section this way. He says, Basically, what Paul is doing is saying, here's how I'm thanking God for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. And here's what, as a result of my ministry, I'm actually doing for you. And so we get this introduction to Paul and his ministry and really building this connection with them in this larger section of which chapter 1, verse 3 through 8 is just a part. All right. Now with that, let's look at the details of chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, where Paul describes how he's thanking God for them. So he says in verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Um, in, again, in a standard Greek or Roman letter, it was very common to have some sort of well-wish at this point in the letter, maybe even some prayer to the gods or some wish for good health. And Paul's not disbanding with the conventions of the day. He's following the conventions of the day for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And so he takes what would have been a standard well-wish or maybe an acknowledgement of the gods, and he acknowledges his God and talks about how he's really thanking God for the Colossians. And so he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you. And so uh, Paul is thanking God for the Colossians, and he does so as part of his regular and routine prayers for them. Notice that in verse 3, he says, praying always for you. Not just occasionally, not every once in a while, not when I, you know, not, oh, kind of, you know, like he's praying always for them. That's important for us to notice. Paul didn't start this church, didn't know these people, but he felt a responsibility for them because it was somehow connected to his ministry. And so he's praying 
regularly and routinely for them. And a part of that praying, he's thanking God for them. And notice what he says in verse 4. He tells why he's thanking God, what's really motivated his prayers, what's motivated his thanksgiving for them. Verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for which you have for all the saints. And so uh, I'm thanking God because of the, the faith that you have in Jesus. When I heard about that, oh, it made my heart uh, proud and happy, and I rejoiced in that, and so I thanked God for that. And I'm thanking God, he says, for the love which you have for all the saints, meaning for all God's people, that your conversion to Christ is already manifesting itself in love for God's people. Then he goes on in verse 5, and he, he says, and here's the basis of all this, because of the hope that's laid up for you. And so the, the faith that you have in Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints grows out of, is based on and grows out of the hope that is laid up uh, for you in heaven, of which you previously heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Just a couple things to note there, that when he says the hope that is laid up for you, he's talking about the thing hoped for. Not our feelings of hope, although hopefully the thing we hope for will lead to feelings of hope, but our feelings can vacillate. They can waver. They can change. Paul's talking about the objective thing we hope for, right? Like the hope that God has provided us in Jesus, the hope of eternal life, the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, the hope of a renewed, restored creation, right? The hope of being delivered from uh, wrath and delivered from our sins through Jesus Christ. It's the thing hoped for, all the good hope that God has given us in Jesus. And Paul says that is really the foundation of the basis of your faith and your love. And he says, notice, it's stored up or laid up in heaven for you. It's like set aside securely, securely stored up for you in heaven, in God's realm. That's the idea of it in heaven. It's in, in a secure location. It's where God is, protected for you in God's space, God's realm, in heaven, securely stored. This hope is so secure. It's so certain because it's in safekeeping in God's place where God and his servants, his angels, protect it. Right? So your hope is secure. That's the point. And it's the basis of your faith and your love. And then he says, you heard about this hope previously in the word of truth, the gospel. I think that's important for us to pay attention to. What he's getting at is when you heard the gospel, when Epaphras, the man who started the church there in Colossae, when he preached the gospel to you, you heard about the hope as part of that gospel, that the hope we have in Jesus, the hope of eternal life, the hope of renewed creation and uh, the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, that's just part of the gospel message, he says, that that should be included in the gospel. It's, it's part of the good news that God is making all things new in Jesus, and you can get on board with that. You can be a part of that. So you heard of that in the word of truth, the gospel. And that phrase, the word of truth, is important for describing the gospel because it seems like there is some some sort of falsehoods, false ideas, false teaching that is at least in some ways challenging and destabilizing these Christians here in Colossae. And so Paul wants them to know right up, up front that the gospel, the gospel they heard about in the beginning, that's the word of truth. That's the solid foundation. Believe that. And so the word of truth helps really solidify the gospel. One last note before we look at a few more of the details of Paul's Thanksgiving. Notice that the triad, the three things that are mentioned, your faith in Christ, your love for all the saints, and the hope laid up for you. Faith, uh, love, hope. Notice that. That's pretty important little uh, 
triad in Paul's writings. The most well-known one is the one in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, where Paul says, but now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And so we normally say it, faith, hope, and love, because of 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But we see this these same three put together like this in other places. Here, for example, in Colossians chapter 1, we see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where he, Paul even says the same thing. He's thanking God for them, bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. Faith, love, hope, same three. And so just notice that, that, that those really are like three pillars of a solid Christian life. Faith, hope, love, three pillars of a solid Christian life that are manifested here in the Colossians, and Paul is thanking God for them. Now, with that, Paul has ended verse 5 by mentioning the gospel. And so in verses 6 through 8, what Paul does is he kind of takes a second and riffs on the gospel. Right, This becomes an opportunity for him to talk about the gospel and how important the gospel is and how powerful the gospel is. And he wants to do this again because he's trying to ground the Colossians in the gospel. He wants them to be rooted in the gospel, not not anything else they hear, not some of the other things that are stirring up questions. No, the gospel they heard at the very beginning, the gospel they heard when Epaphras started the church and that he's been preaching to them. So he takes this opportunity now to just kind of, uh, kind of spin off and talk about the gospel a little bit in verses 6 through 8. So look what he says. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, which has come to you, which referring back to the gospel. So what you previously heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So the gospel has come to you, just as in all the world also. And so the gospel has come to you, just as it's come to all the world. Now, Paul knew there was a pretty big world out there. What does he mean by all the world? Well, what he means by that is that's just a way of saying all throughout the Roman Empire, that the gospel is spreading and expanding and moving throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, during the days of the Roman Empire, they tended to see the Roman Empire as like really the, the main part, the, the known world. That was like the civilized world. Sort of a little bit of uh, ethnocentrism, yes. Sort of like Americans today have that same thing, right? But that was the way they viewed it. And so he means that the gospel has been spreading all throughout the Roman world. That's just that's the, what he means by that. And so the gospel has come to you just as it has all throughout the Roman world. And it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. That's what the gospel is doing all throughout the world. That's what it's doing there in Colossae. It's bearing fruit and increasing. And those words probably overlap. And so we don't want to you know, divide them too much. But it tends to be that fruit in Paul talks about changed lives and character. And fruit tends to be with... Um, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit and the virtues of the Christian life. And so people's lives are being changed. Their character is being formed into Christ-likeness. And increasing tends to be with growth, right? Like it's it's expanding. It's And so I think it's fair to say, even though those words overlap, it's fair to say that what Paul is saying is that the gospel is uh, changing lives and attracting new people all throughout the world. We're talking about character growth and numerical growth. It's it's doing both. That the gospel is powerful and effective, and Paul's seen that all throughout the Roman world, and he sees that there in Colossae. That the gospel has come to you, and it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as, as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it, since the very beginning, and that you understood the grace of God in truth. Notice that, that as Paul is, again, just describing some things about the gospel, 
he says that from the day you heard of it, so he wants them to know what they heard at the very beginning, that was the gospel. That was the good news. That was the truth. And you understood, notice what he says, the grace of God in truth. That when, when Epaphras came and preached the gospel to them, what they heard was they heard the message of God's grace. And grace is the message of God's kindness. God's favor. Usually grace refers to kindness and favor that's not deserved, that you didn't do anything to be entitled to it. You didn't do anything to earn it. Um, God is just a gracious, kind-hearted person, and he has shown his grace upon you, his kindness and his favor to you. And so when the gospel came to you, you heard about the grace of God and you heard about it in truth. Notice that in verse 5, he referred to the gospel as the word of truth. Now here at the end of verse 6, he says that the gospel told you the grace of God in truth. Don't miss the repetition and the emphasis because, as we noted here in Colossae, it seems like there's at least some, some currents of, of untruth, right? There's some falsehood being taught that is threatening to, to really destabilize the, the, Christ, the Christian church there in Colossae. And so the, the gospel told you the grace of God in truth. And then in verse 7, he goes on to say, just as you learned it from Epaphras. That's where, we, that's where we hear that Epaphras is the one who preached the gospel to them and who started the church there. Epaphras was uh, presumably a co-worker of Paul, someone who learned about Jesus and was trained for ministry from Paul. And again, as we noted in the backstory session, uh, he probably learned that during Paul's extended stay in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And so Epaphras uh, was trained by Paul and goes and preaches the gospel now in Colossae. And so when they learned it from Epaphras, they learned the truth. Epaphras isn't holding out on them. There's not secret knowledge somewhere that you know they need to learn in order to really experience the fullness of everything God has to offer. No, they got the, the full truth and nothing but the truth about the grace of God from Epaphras. And so just as you learned it from Epaphras, and notice how Epaphras is described, our beloved fellow bondservant, meaning he's a servant of God, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And so he is a he's a servant of Jesus in partnership with Paul. He is a co-worker with Paul, a co-servant with Paul of Jesus. And verse 8, and Epaphras also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And so at some point, Epaphras has come and visited Paul, and he's told them about uh, really how the gospel is doing in Colossae and the surrounding region. And in part of telling him that, he's also informed Paul about the Colossians' love in the Spirit, the love that the Holy Spirit is producing in their life, that's evident in their life. And that love is consistently one of the marks of people who have met and encountered the grace of God in truth. So that's Paul's Thanksgiving report for the Christians there in Colossae. That's how he's been thanking God for them. And I think it highlights a couple really important implications for us. One is the importance of being rooted and grounded in the gospel, that the message about Jesus and Jesus being king includes with it the hope uh, that we have in him and the message about God's grace. And our lives need to be rooted in that. That's the truth. That's the centerpiece of our life. It's the centerpiece of God's story, and it should be the centerpiece of our life story. And so is your life rooted in the gospel? Paul wants the Colossians 
and us to be rooted in the gospel that tells the truth about God and Jesus and the world and what it means to be human and where history is going. So may your life be rooted in the gospel. The other important implication for us to think about out of and reflect on out of Paul's Thanksgiving here is just the, the importance of Thanksgiving. That the Colossians aren't a perfect church. Uh, Paul's worried about some destabilizing factors that seem to be affecting the church. They've got some issues. They need to grow up to maturity in Christ, and yet he's incredibly thankful for them because of their faith in Jesus, the love that they're showing, even if it needs to grow, the love they're showing for all of God's people because they're rooted uh, in the hope that God has given them in the gospel. And so he thanks God for them. And that's so important for us to be people who thank God for the kinds of things Paul thanks God for. When we see God's work in people, when we see God's work in our family, when we see God's work in our kids, when we see God's work in members of our small group, and we're thanking God for them. We're thanking God for the people uh, in our church because they're part of God's uh, good work. And so to be people who practice thanksgiving, like Paul practiced thanksgiving, for all the good things that God is doing in and through us and in the people around us. And so may we be people of thanksgiving, like Paul was a person of thanksgiving.